Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today we're talking about nutrition and the human microbiome with Dr. Hannah Holscher, an Associate Professor of Nutrition in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition, and a member of the Division of Nutritional Sciences at the University of Illinois. Dr. Holscher's laboratory uses clinical interventions and computational approaches to study the interactions of nutrition, the gastrointestinal microbiome, and health. In addition to publishing in top nutrition journals, she also actively disseminates research findings in formats ranging from scientific presentations and webinars to podcasts, Twitter chats, blogs, and popular press articles. Her research on nutrition and the microbiome has been recognized by both local and national organizations with several awards, including the 2020 National Academy of Medicine Emerging Leader and the 2021 American Society of Nutrition's Mead Johnson Young Investigator Award. She currently serves on the Journal of Nutrition Editorial Board and as an Associate Editor for Nutrition Research and Gut Microbiome. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We are very excited. Well, I'm especially excited because I love this topic, as all our listeners know. Um, it's a great topic. Um, and then I thought we would start with just a little bit about your background. So as a fellow nutrition and gut microbiome researcher, it's very interesting to me to figure out how other people ended up in this niche field, because it seems like we all kind of went on a long journey to get here and ended up together. So please tell us your story. Yeah. So I have just always loved science, and I've been fortunate to have a number of outstanding teachers, first in high school, that helped me to learn more about biology and chemistry, and then also professors in college that solidified my love for nutritional sciences. And then I had the opportunity to complete a dietetic internship to become a registered dietitian. And that was a wonderful experience. But what I learned was that being a practicing dietitian per se wasn't for me. I really wanted to learn more about nutrition and understand how food affects our health. And so I was really fortunate to be able to come back to the University of Illinois and work with one of my favorite professors, Dr. Kelly Tappadin to do my doctorate. And it was in her laboratory that I was first exposed to probiotics. So those live microorganisms that can provide a benefit to our health. And so I was able to study probiotics and prebiotics and and learn a little bit about all things microbiome. And then when I was moving on to my postdoc, I got the chance to learn more about the ecology of the microbiome. So the fact that there's just trillions of microorganisms and they're interacting with each other and with us, and it's a really complicated system. And I love complex systems and breaking those down. And I got to learn how to code so that I could take these really large data sets with A, T's, C's, and G's and and turn them into usable, understandable information. And, and so I've just 
kept walking down that path. I've been fortunate to have a lot of really amazing graduate students that wanted to work with me and, and they have interesting questions and a robust group of microbiome researchers here at the University of Illinois that I can collaborate with. And so that's what's gotten me to this point today where I'm at U of I and our, my group is just really interested in understanding more about how what we eat affects these gut microbes and that in turn helps to support our health. Very interesting. And and I think that you take a, a different approach to nutrition in the microbiome than many people do. Um, I think a lot of people are either kind of microbiome researchers that ended up thinking that nutrition was important and then adding it on to the research, but maybe they don't have really the training to, to fully do the nutrition side, which obviously you do from your dietetics background. Or um, the other group of people are really coming from a clinical perspective, right? So they have patients, they're looking at what's happening in their patients and, and following it that way. But you're really trying to get the answer. Um, and we'll talk more about your research. But that's what got me excited about talking to you is, we're, is you're able to do controlled experiments and trying to get to what the truth is um, in a really controlled and robust way. Yeah, I'm really fortunate to have great facilities here at the University of Illinois where we can do these complete feeding studies. We've got a number going on right now. And, you know, as you mentioned, with my background in dietetics and, and being a registered dietitian, that forms the lens in which I ask my questions. So, so I can go about this a slightly different way than some others might because I really want to look at foods that people would eat in amounts that people might eat. And so mm -hmm. we do work on a couple servings of walnuts per day or an avocado per day or a serving of broccoli. And so it's really fun because my work can be potentially translated right into everyday practice because, you know, it's not a supplement that has to get created or a new medication that has to go through years of investigation. It's, you know, something you can pick up at the grocery store if you walk along the outside aisle. So it's, it's a fun area to be in. How does food influence gut microbes and human health? You know, that is definitely a billion dollar question. And it, it's, it's going to keep me busy for a while. So um, there are so many ways that food can influence gut microbes in human health. So let's just take fiber as an example. Yay, fiber. Yes, love fiber. <laughs> um, now, fiber is a component within foods like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and legumes that we can't break down. But certain microbes within the human gastrointestinal tract can. And to give you a better idea how impressive the microbiome is at being able to do this, to break down complex carbohydrates, I want to give you a couple numbers. So what's estimated is that the genetic composition of the microbiome so all the genes that the microbiome possess, those that are focused on breaking down complex carbohydrates is around 16,000 genes. Our human genome has about 16 of those <laughs> genes. So 
you know, you've maybe you've heard the numbers there, you know, originally or a while back, we thought there were 10 times more microbes than human cells. And now that's been revised to about one microbial cell to human cells within the human gut. And we say between 100 to 200 times more genes within the microbiome compared to the human genome. But as a nutritionist and someone who's super interested in fiber, 16,000 genes for mm-hmm. different breaking down these complex carbohydrates and all these different types of plants or synthesized fibers compared to R16, it's just a really impressive um, difference there. So the other thing that's super interesting from that perspective is that, you know, once these microbes break down the fibers, they make byproducts like short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids are being increasingly researched and have been connected to a range of health effects that go from supporting gut health to enhancing our mood and memory to helping us build stronger bones and muscles. So, you know, again, just thinking about how complex food is, that's just one example with dietary fiber. And we're diving deeper to be able to understand those. So that's why a lot of the foods that I focus on in my lab do contain dietary fibers. So like the fruits or the vegetables, whole grains and nuts. Um, But we also study isolated fibers or synthesized fibers or prebiotics, which are um, in general are a type of fiber, but they're targeted at supporting the microbiome so that they can result in a health benefit. Fiber is just sort of a miracle (laughs) when you think about it. Especially from, you know, the lay perspective. For years, we just thought of fiber as, oh, it's something to fill you up or it's something to help, you know, keep everything moving along. But it's very important to feeding, you know, our micro, our gut microbiome, which is, you know, Lee, what is the number? Is 75% of our immune system or something like that? Yeah, I don't like to put a number on that because I think that's not something you could actually measure precisely. And I'm sure Hannah will uh, understand why I'm saying that. But yeah, it's somewhere on the order 70 to 80% of your immune system at any one time is in and around the gut. It's very important, folks. (laughs) Yes. And so that's why, you know, just something super simple that someone could take away from this podcast in this conversation today could even be just thinking about eating the rainbow to support gut health. Because when you try to eat lots of different types of fibers, which would be found in, you know, lots of different colored plants, like the fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, and legumes, Mm -hmm. you're providing different types of fibers because fiber is just an umbrella term. There are tons of different sugars that make up these fibers. And there's tons of different linkages and different microbes have different abilities to break those linkages. And so again, we're, we're thinking about having this diverse diet to help support our gut health and supporting the microbiome. And um, we will definitely understand better how that's all happening uh, as time goes by, but it's a pretty pretty solid recommendation kind of as far as the, the risk benefit goes, if you want to support gut health. Yeah, there's there's a lot to tease apart there. Uh, like you said, there's plenty to keep um, you and really everyone in the field of nutrition and microbiome busy for their entire careers. Um, and, and then all of our protégés beyond that. 
Um, one aspect that I find particularly interesting is uh, the effect that food processing has on that relationship. So there's a clear relationship between food, the gut microbiome, and human health, but that seems to be modified by food processing. Uh, and I'm thinking specifically about your work on, on nuts and the different processing of nuts, uh, as well as fermented foods. So if you could tell us a little bit about that work. Yeah. So what you're talking about with our work on nuts was a follow-up study um, with this really elegant work that my colleagues at the USDA Beltsville Human Nutrition Facility did. And so what they were interested in was the metabolizable energy of different types of almonds. So meaning how much energy do we extract from those so that we can you know, support our health but they'd previously shown that walnuts have less metabolizable energy than what you would calculate. And so they were following up with almonds and they were looking at almonds that were whole natural, whole roasted, roasted and chopped, and then ground into almond butter to first look at the metabolizable energy. And what they found was that the metabolizable energy of the whole natural and the whole roasted and the roasted chopped was around 22% less than what you would anticipate if you just did the mathematical calculations. And so we wanted to follow up on this to see, okay, well, if there's nutrients remaining that aren't being used by our body, what's this doing to the microbes within the gastrointestinal tract? And so what we found was that, again, these whole roasted or the whole natural and the roasted chopped were enriching different microorganisms like rosburia. So rosburia is a microorganism that produces short-chain fatty acids. And when we looked at the almond butter versus the control, which was the exact same diet that just didn't have almonds in it, the microbiome of the same individuals that went through all these same diets looked the same. The microbe number for Roseburia, for example, wasn't different when they went through the control condition, which had no almonds, or the control condition that the only difference was the almond butter the control in the almond butter looked the same, which mirrored the metabolizable energy. The metabolizable energy of almond butter was similar to what you would anticipate when you did the calculations. So again, this just gets to the complexity of food matrices, which is an area that I'm growing increasingly interested in. So you and me both. Yes. (laughs) And We've got almonds as, you know, again, our example here, and almonds have fiber, but they also have lipids that are trapped within the plant cell wall. And since we don't liberate as much of that when it goes through digestion and absorption, microbes then within the GI tract can have interactions with that. And so again, that work was super interesting. I loved working with um, Dave Baer and Janet Novotny at the USDA Beltsville Center. And we still collaborate on a lot of different projects. And it was those studies that have subsequently spurred some of the work that we have going on right now, where we're actually seeing if these changes 
in the microbes are contributing to the health benefits that you see with consuming almonds, for example. Because, you know, there may be that changing the microbiome may be the cause or consequence of those health benefits. So we want to understand, okay, is this microbe actually producing a metabolite that's causing a metabolic change in the study participants that's underlying those health benefits? So we're following up on a lot of those different studies, and that has been some of the really interesting work with the nuts. Um, As far as the fermented foods go and food processing, we've got some work on yogurt that's ongoing right now, but that one is more focused on the relevance of honey and how it can support probiotic survival for those fermented foods. So that one I wouldn't consider as much to be as a food processing as a food combination, which you know is another interesting area that people are doing work on. But bottom line is food is so much more complex than just the information we see on the nutrition facts label. And so especially when you think about nuts, those complex seeds are doing some somewhat surprising things. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's it's very fascinating. And I think, you know, I've given talks um, for National Nutritionist Day or Dietitian's Day. And when I mentioned the fact that, for one, we don't all absorb the, all of the nutrients out of the almonds. And then I mentioned that it varies by person. And then I bring the microbiome in on this and people's minds just explode. They're like, wait, that's everything we've been taught, right? Is to look at the nutrition facts label and go from that. And that, that's, not incor- that's not incorrect, but we just now know that there's a lot more variation in that than we had originally intended. And so now you've got groups of people um, trying to come up with like personalized dietary recommendations. And I don't know if we're there yet, but I think that we're probably heading in that direction. What do you think, Hannah? Yes, I would agree. I think as far as the personalized nutrition recommendations based on the microbiome that we've got a bit to go, I'd say if someone is interested in getting their microbiota sequenced just so they can know about it for, you know, kind of a, a toy or a gift. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's totally valid. But taking that information to your healthcare practitioner, be it a dietitian or a medical doctor, we just aren't aren't there and you know investing in an app that's going to make recommendations for you to manage your blood glucose based on your microbiome. You're the benefit is not robust enough compared to just meeting with the dietitian or following standard healthy guidelines. So I'm excited for this to get better over the long term. And there's lots of research going into personalized nutrition, but I completely agree. We just aren't, aren't there yet. It's coming though. Yes, it is. (laughs) Stay tuned. Now, You use next-generation sequencing technologies in bioinformatics in your research. What does that entail? Yeah, so next-generation sequencing is referring to the molecular methods to characterize the microbiota. And next-generation is mostly just referring to we've moved beyond culture-based methods. So more simply, 
we rarely grow microbes in Petri dishes anymore to figure out what microbes are present, at least within my lab. Instead, what we do is we use methods that allow us to extract the DNA out of the microbes so that we can sequence it and then match those DNA profiles to databases so that we can characterize what microbes are there. And in the cases of studying the microbiome, we can look more deeply because we've sequenced the entire genomes and we're able to be able to tell what these microbes could do. And then for bioinformatics, you could just say that's a fancy term for math. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're using computer science to wrangle really large data sets. Um, and so when we're studying the microbiome, there are some best practices for counting microbes. Unfortunately, there are scientists that specialize in this and developing and improving platforms or software programs that allow us to do just that. So we do do a lot of this work in the command line, which I have some pictures of for anyone who's seen the matrix, you know, when you're, (laughs) you're behind the scenes of these computer programs, it basically just means that from a lot of the programs that study the microbiome, they're not quite point and click. So if we open a Word document and highlight a sentence to make it bold, you're just pointing, highlighting, and clicking to do those things. A lot of the bioinformatics platforms are, are still require you to speak the computer's language rather than being able to do those point and click. But they are making some great headway in making them more accessible so that you can just use your computer at home instead of what we do is, you know, send it across the street to our supercomputer so we can use 90 computers at once. Um, so those are kind of the explanations for what those terms mean. That's really helpful. And I would also point out that um, what you're doing is not necessarily what everyone has done historically, because historically, a lot of times we just looked at who was there. We had uh, less high resolution techniques. And so we just were looking at who was there, but you're now starting to look at the function aspect. What are they actually doing there? Which I think is probably going to be much more important than just who is there. Yeah, that's a great point. So we look at who's there. So the microbiota, we look at, you know, what can they do when we sequence their full genomes? And we also spend a lot of time looking at what metabolites have they produced. So we're very interested in the byproducts of fiber breakdown, so short-chain fatty acids, for example. We're also really interested in secondary bile acids, which are the byproducts of microbial metabolism. So after we secrete primary bile acids to help us digest and absorb fat, microbes, because they need to live within the gastrointestinal tract and bile acids can be harmful to them. They can change the configurations of bile acids in a way that allow certain microbes to survive better. But when they convert some of those microbes to secondary bile acids, as an example, those are actually linked to more inflammation in the gut. And that can be detrimental to our liver and our glycemic control, for example. So we are trying to, yes, move beyond just the change in microbes to understand, okay, 
what came in, how did it change the microbes, and also how is that connected with human health? Excellent. And for our clinicians out there, how, what should they be thinking about in terms of clinical care when we're, no, we're talking about all this? Is there anything that they should be prepared to talk about? Keeping in mind that I have to let you know that people are already bringing their microbiome results to their, their physicians. And I, I feel a little bit bad for the physicians because it's, it's asking a lot of them to have that conversation. And so perhaps that's not appropriate, but what would be the goal for them to have uh, an educated conversation with their patients? I would say making recommendations, if depending on what the patient's issue is that they're bringing forward and, and what's driving their interest in the microbiome, it's maybe related to them wanting to prevent a disease or potentially solve a health issue that they have. The medical doctor's should have a good idea of if there may also be a nutritional component of that. So I think relying more on what evidence we have that is robust that we can make recommendations towards would be more beneficial. So stated more clearly, referring to registered dietitians that can help an individual make changes in their diet that are evidence-based that can help support their health. Because again, a lot of the changes that support health in general are also linked with supporting the gut microbiome. And so again, we're still trying to figure out, you know, is the microbiome a cause or consequence of these changes in the diet and having a healthy diet? But we do have evidence that certain dietary changes and dietary patterns are helpful for the health. So, you know, working within your healthcare teams and making those referrals to dietitians, um, I think, can be something that is a, a really feasible thing that someone could do. But again, as you said, interpreting those microbiome reports is we just aren't there yet. So, once we have more information about those in the years to come, we can make more evidence-based recommendations. So we do have some evidence-based guidelines related to microbes and health that comes from the American Gastroenterological Association. So they've got, they've done some grading of the evidence related to certain probiotic strains for their efficacy from things like Clostridium uh, C. diffenfate infections, necrotizing intercolitis. There, so there are guidelines that are developed on those that they can refer to to help. And there is also the U.S. Probiotic Guide that helps you to hone in on specific probiotics that have been studied in clinical trials to investigate certain health outcomes, ranging from constipation to blood cholesterol levels. So again, the underlying theme of all of this is using the evidence base. So are there clinical trials that are well that were well conducted, adequately powered? Hopefully they were also replicated to be able to move us towards being able to make recommendations that incorporate microbes or the microbiome. Yeah, that's wonderful. And we will put links to those recommendations in the show notes for everyone who is listening. 
Um, so with all this excitement in, in the research field of microbiome, I, I'm sure you have lots of irons in the fire, but you could just give us a little hint into what we should expect from you in the near future in terms of your research. Yeah, so we've got a lot of super exciting work going on that's following up on the work we've published on almonds, walnuts, and avocados in the microbiota. So based on the microbes that were changed in those hypothesis-generating studies, we're now feeding those foods again in more controlled environments so that we can measure the microbiota or the microbiome in some of these, the metabolites that are produced, and also different health outcomes like glycemic control or um, how much fat is in the liver, hepatic steatosis. And then we actually just finished randomizing the last participant into a study that's looking at how honey can help support probiotic survival in yogurt. So that'll probably be um, the first iron in the fire to move into the public domain. So it's it's a really fun area. I've got um, a lot of really talented grad students and postdocs and coordinators that work with my group that are helping move all this research forward. So I'm just excited to be able to you know, help move, move the field forward from just, not just how is a food changing the microbiota, but how is this food changing the microbiota and also contributing to the health outcomes? Wonderful. I cannot wait to read those. I have to tell you, I do have a Google Scholar alert for when you publish things. So I know first thing, as soon as they're out. Thank you. That's, it's very flattering. I appreciate that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, um, that was a great chat. Thank you so much for joining us. It is all the time we have for today. Yeah, thank you again for having me and letting me chat a little bit more about the science that we do. Yeah, we'll have to bring you back when your, your next research series are out. Yes, sounds wonderful. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks for listening. The Office of Integrative Medicine and Health produces the GW Integrative Medicine podcast with funds from your donations. Your generosity allows us to raise awareness of the benefits of integrating whole person care, including evidence-based complementary therapies, into healthcare broadly. Help us continue to grow the podcast by making a tax-deductible donation on our website, smhs.gwu.edu slash OIMH. Click the Give Now button on the left. While you're there, sign up for our free monthly newsletter for even more evidence-based content, including free webinars.